Right. Oh, we've got no lights at all now. Oh, well, there we go now. All one thing or another. Now then, when we come together, we come together as a people of God who need to be open to the Spirit, open to what He wants to do in and through us. And that illustration from the Battle of Jericho says a lot to us this morning as we head into this new season that God has given to us. Because the lessons from the battle of Jericho are these. You hear from the Lord. You act in obedience to the Lord. You make a declaration of faith. And victory is yours. And that is what the people of Jericho found. And that is what the people of God all through the generations have found. That as they hear from God, act in obedience, step out in faith, victory is theirs. And that is the story here of Emmanuel Church. That we have heard... And we've stepped out and we have seen victory. And as we look at scripture, as we look at the stories related to us from the day of Pentecost in Acts, what we find is that as we hear from God in those stories, as we receive them in faith, as we act in accordance to that faith, we will see the victory that God wants to give us. And that victory is lives transformed. And this morning as we come, my prayer is not that we just hear more about the day of Pentecost, but my prayer is that we actually experience that for ourselves. No matter how long we have been a Christian, it might be decades or a few weeks, God has more for us. There is always more for the people of God than they have so far received. We can never ever plumb the depths of God's grace for us. We can never get to that deep end of the swimming pool and touch the bottom and think, well, I've made it now. The bottom is infinite. We will never reach the very depths of all that God has got for us. So as we look at the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit, a familiar story to us, we have to align ourselves with that and ask ourselves, what has that got to say to me? What has that got to say to us? And what steps is God challenging us to uh, for the next step in our journey with him? And we all know Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separate and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, people from many different nations. And that's where we leave it, before we get into the complicated names of all the different nations. But the reality is, as we read this story, this becomes a very, very controversial passage of Scripture. Because the question is, did that simply describe something that happened 2,000 years ago and has no relevance for us today? Or is it something that God wants to speak to us today because he wants us to live in the reality of what happened on that very first day of Pentecost? Now, as a church, we have heard God. We have acted in obedience to God and we would teach and preach that what happened on the day of Pentecost is available to every one of God's children as a matter of inheritance. Jesus has an incredible inheritance for us. And being baptized in the Spirit is part of that inheritance. And we do not want to sell anyone short in terms of what they can receive from Jesus.
So we have that coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But as we read through the book of Acts, we find that it's just the first of many comings. The Spirit comes again and again and again. And the Spirit comes and he meets people where they are. And the apostles carry that heart which wants to lead every follower of Jesus into a deeper experience of him, into those deeper waters. So, we can't look at all of the examples, but as we read through Acts, we find in chapter 8 that the apostles, when they heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I, I, I love that passage because it just takes for granted, doesn't it? It's a, they had simply been baptized into the name of Jesus. And even that becomes a controversial issue within many churches today. We practice believers' baptism. And next week as we gather, we are going to have at least one person who wants to be baptized. And there perhaps are people here today. People who have not yet been baptized by full immersion as believers. And that is what we read in the New Testament. There was this desire that every follower of Jesus was baptized by total immersion. Identifying with Jesus as he went down into the waters with John the Baptist. And that is part of our inheritance. So if you've not yet been baptized as a believer in water, we would love to help you towards that next uh, next Sunday. But that's the first uh, example I want to quote. But the second is from Acts chapter 19, Paul in Ephesus. Now when we read through these uh, stories, we get the sort of bare bones of what is reported. But looking behind the story as recorded... One thing that we can be sure of is that the apostles, when they visited anywhere, loved to ask questions. They didn't take a great deal for granted. They wanted to get behind what was going on, so they would ask some very, very pointed questions. So in Acts 19, it says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, arrived at Ephesus. He found some disciples. And he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, what an amazing question for anyone to be asked. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, these so-called disciples, and we'll find that they weren't actually disciples of Jesus, said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul says, well, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, the reply replied. John said, uh, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Now that is because they were not Christians before this. They were followers of John the Baptist. They were open to the revelation that they had received. And there was a hunger and thirst that said, as you reveal more to me, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And they're baptized into the name of Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and 
prophesied. And it's these questions I believe each one of us, we need to ask ourselves. Do we have that life-changing experience of the power of the Spirit, which we call baptism in the Spirit? Because this is a scriptural mandate, it's a scriptural promise, and it's to be worked out among the church today. This is part of our inheritance. But these questions... You know, even the question about, you know, what baptism did you receive? Now, if you were to ask, if I were to ask you that question, what baptism did you receive? I wonder what sort of answer. Even as a young Christian, that question would have confused me totally. Because I was brought up in a church that did not teach, preach, or practice believers' baptism. So if they come along, even as a young Christian, and say, Dan, what baptism did you receive? I'll say, well, I was christened as a baby, but I don't remember much about it. And, of course, that is not biblical baptism. Biblical baptism requires faith on the part of the person being baptized. And it's not a matter of age. We do not practice adult baptism. Because you can have young kids who have a very real faith, and we want to baptize those who have faith. So as we come together, we ask that question, what baptism did you receive? Have you been baptized in water as a believer and a follower of Jesus? And if not, we can help you next week. So Paul clears that out of the way, and then he goes to lay hands on them, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. The apostles, those people who carried the mind of Christ, were absolutely committed to bringing people into an experience of being baptized, filled, overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. There is no compromise as we read through the book of Acts because it's all very much part of our inheritance in Christ. You know, when we look back in the Gospels, we see this is prophesied by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he practiced one baptism and he prophesied another. So he said, I'm baptized in water, but wow, one is coming who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that as you look through scriptures, every Gospel, every Gospel records the words of John and it's as if God is just want to emphasize this again and again and again. And it's even picked up by Jesus after the resurrection. And he's having a chat to the disciples. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, it says this, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared with, to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom. And on one occasion, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So Jesus has spoken about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we have some record of that in the Gospels. And then he goes on to say, for John baptized in water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that promise of Jesus was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And that promise has never been withdrawn. 
but is a promise relevant to the church of every age and every generation. No matter who we are, how we are today, that promise is as real to you as it was to those early disciples. Jesus said, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they waited. They didn't know what they were waiting for, but they waited in obedience. So Jesus is saying to them, just as John baptized and immersed people in water, you're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit and you will live in the fulfillment of that promise, not just made by John, but prophesied by Joel some many hundreds of years before Jesus comes. And they have a power encounter, a baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is repeated again and again and again as different groups uh, emerge in that in the telling of Acts, so the promise is made real to them. And as a church, we want that promise to be made real to every individual. But as we read through the Bible, what we find is there might be one baptism, but there are many fillings. And so it's not a question of looking back and say, what happened perhaps several decades ago, what happened years ago? The reality is Jesus wants us to live in the fulfillment of that promise each and every day as he comes and he fills us and refreshes us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now there isn't one person here who does not need to be refreshed in the Holy Spirit. Not one. Look at the person next to you and just look at them and you can see they need to be refreshed in the Holy Spirit. And this is where we stand as a church. It may not necessarily be accepted by other churches, but quite frankly, that is not our problem. Our problem is to be true to the revelation that God has given us for this community. And this community says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. As Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine. There's a challenge. Hmm. <laughs> I will, I, I will confess to being squiffy once. And my, my brother, Mr. Davis, was present when the squiffiness occurred in Albania. Now, in those early days of going to Albania, we were plied with a drink called Raki. And you didn't realize what it was. I mean, it tasted like pain stripper. But you didn't realize how potent it was until you stood up. Seriously. And, we, and the room would swim. And I had to help Mr. Davis back to the accommodation, <laughs> holding him up, upright. As he then lay on, the, lay on the floor and stared at the ceiling. He said, well, that's the ceilings. Please stay still. So we can, we can confess to squiffiness. But Paul is saying, you see, I just find this so interesting, isn't it? On the day of Pentecost, the disciples are accused of being drunk. But they're filled with the Spirit. By the time Paul writes, he says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He brings these two things together again. Now, I think that if there were some uh, sort of cameras, which there aren't, by the way, relax. If we had filmed you walking around this building earlier on, and we say, right, we're now going to put this sequence on songs of praise. I dare say at that point there might have been some people watching thinking, these people are definitely not with it. <laughs> but isn't it fantastic that we can have a freedom in the Spirit of God to do what we think is right at the time and a tremendous revelation that we can do and enjoy 
what God has got for us. Oh, glory to God. We can enjoy being among the people of God. <laughs> Do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And that term, be filled, means keep on, keep on, keep on being filled with the Spirit. So there is one baptism, that initial encounter, power encounter with the Holy Spirit. But there are many, many fillings. And no matter how long we have been a follower of Christ, there is always more. For we do not follow a miserly Jesus. We follow one who is generosity itself. Why would Jesus, who gave himself, withhold the Holy Spirit from those who ask? I mean, consider it. He is prepared to be crucified in a horrendous way on the cross for us. Why would he then turn around and say, well, they're not going to get the Holy Spirit? If he's going to die for us, how much more is he going to live and give the Spirit of God to those who ask? And Jesus comes and he says, all I want is an open heart. All I want is a heart that is open to me, willing to receive from me. And I want to deluge them, that person, in the Holy Spirit. But I find that very often, Christians, we listen to the lies of the devil and we exclude ourselves from receiving the inheritance that Jesus has for us. And there are many, many subtle lies go around, one of which is, I am not good enough. Well, I've got news this morning. You're not. Now, you see, when you realize you're not, that takes a huge pressure off because I am not good enough in myself to receive anything from Jesus. But as my life is hidden in Christ, I can receive because I'm clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. But the devil will come along and he'll whisper into our ears. he say, oh, you're not holy enough. You're not good enough. You're, you're not as holy as the person you're sitting next to. Chris and John, yes. <laughs> there was that knowing look there, that knowing look. But, <laughs> but, but it's these lies. And then the other thing that will happen is that we can be engaging with the Spirit and suddenly there's almost like this whisper comes into our mind. Can you remember what you did some time ago? Can you remember the sin you committed some time ago? And again, this will rob us of the present infilling of the Spirit because we are more concerned with what happened some time ago that we cannot change than living in the present by simply coming to Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. Jesus, I receive your grace. Jesus, my life is hidden in you and I now need you just to come and fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not disqualify yourself from receiving more of the Spirit of God. Jesus does not disqualify you, nor should you disqualify yourself. But there is an enemy who wants to distract us. There's an enemy who does not want us to live in the fullness of what Jesus has for us. And when we look through the uh, unfolding story of the book of Acts and the epistles, you know, let's be real. These early followers 
were not worthy to receive all that Jesus gave to them either. They're very much on a par with ourselves. They had faults. They have weaknesses. Read through the story of the early church and you find they actually had disagreements with each other and they fell out with each other and sometimes actually parted ways from one another. And yet, Jesus, in his grace and mercy, used these ordinary men and women to win the world. And Jesus is saying to us in this place today, I can use you to transform this region. Our vision is not simply for a church that impacts Durham, but our vision is for a church that impacts the region and beyond the region, reaching out to the world around us. So on Thursday, as we gathered here, we had people from all over, connections all over the world, who were just reporting back, which is absolutely fantastic. But we need to impact where we live. We need to impact the community here. And that is where these seats will be filled. Because as we impact the community in which we live, Jesus is going to transform lives and bring people into his family. Don't disqualify yourself. And we can simply come to him and say, Jesus, I got it wrong. And I believe there is a response on the heart of Jesus when we do that. A twofold response. I believe the first is, yes, you did. Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. When we confess things to Jesus, we're not telling him something he doesn't already know. Confession isn't to inform Jesus. Confession is to clear something out of our own minds and hearts. But then he says, come on, pick yourself up. Let's go again on the journey. That is the grace of Jesus poured out towards us. The one who gave all on the cross is not going to withhold himself now by the power of the Spirit. Peter quoted that verse from Joel. The prophetic promise given, I think, about 400 years before Jesus. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my maidservants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I just find it incredible that in a couple of verses, the entirety of humanity is included. Everyone is included. Men, women, sons, daughters, even on my servants, I will pour out my spirit. Let's stand together. If we could have the band back, please. Just before we go into a song, James, can you just uh, lead us from the keyboard, please?
And let's just close our eyes. I want us to do business with God. And we want to pray with people. And coming forward for prayer, I think we need again, we need to uh, reject the lie of the devil that says coming forward for prayer is a sign of weakness. No, it's actually a sign of tremendous strength. Among the people of God, I want us to pray for people. If you feel that you're running on empty, if you feel that you need that fresh touch of the Spirit, I want us to pray. But then I want us to move on. I want us to pray for a release of particular gifts within the body. There are people here who have gifts almost in their embryonic stage. And we want to pray for the Spirit of God to come and to take you on and to increase that gifting in your life. But let's just do business on one-to-one, wherever you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I ask that as we come before you now, you will just speak to every heart. You know where we are. And I want to declare a truth of the gospel that Jesus accepts you as you are now. He's not saying I'm going to accept you when you become more holy. I'm not going to accept you when you become more righteous. He accepts you as you are now, but he sees what you can become in him.